his precious sheep. And I don't think there's anything more important or more precious to do in the universe. So I'm so thankful. And for those of you who've made uh, the time, the money, the commitment to be here for the weekend, just wonderful. Get to know my bride. You'll see quickly she's much the better half in this equation. And she loves to get to know folks as well when we uh, do this kind of thing. So I'm going to give four talks over the weekend that are focusing essentially on your relationships with one another. Tonight, the beauty of well-placed words. We're going to dig into one verse out of Proverbs. Proverbs 25.11, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. What do you use at CRPC more than anything else? Words. You use them all the time, and you use a lot of them. Boys and girls, you may have heard this saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. The adults will tell you that is patently untrue. We have all hurt others with our words, and we have all been hurt with others' words. And this is principally why the Bible has to say a lot about the way we speak to one another. Particularly the book of Proverbs, which I love. It has a lot to say about the way we talk. Why? Because what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and to whom, and to whom, is fundamentally a wisdom issue. There aren't a whole lot of laws about that. And so what you find in Proverbs are lots of observations about how to speak, when to speak, what to say. And so you realize that you need the right words for the right circumstance in order to please Jesus. So what does it look like? This is effectively the question we're going to answer this evening. What does it look like when a heart is filled with the love of Christ, a life is under the compelling power of the gospel, what does it look like when that mouth speaks? Well, here's what it looks like. Apples of gold in settings of silver. What a compelling metaphor. When you have the right words for the right situation, you are, you've created something like a beautiful sculptor's ornate apples of gold and settings of silver. So this verse invites you to do what? At least think before you speak and think of your words as a work of art. That's what, that's what, what this verse is inviting you to do. Your words like art should inspire awe, praise, Wow! My wife has already started admiring a lot of the artwork on this campus. She's an artist. 
So, just like, just as an artisan is motivated, has means and goals in his or her artwork, so do we in the use of our words. So that's the three-point outline. We're going to look at the use of your words from the perspective of your motives, your means, and your goals. Outlines in front of you. You'll see there's tons of proverbs, uh, unsurprisingly. Let's jump right in. Your motives. So an artisan has a reason for creating a work of art. Maybe it's uh, to, to imitate something in nature, to capture an, an historical event, to make a statement, whatever. The same is true for your words. We usually have a reason for what we say. And somebody famous, Jesus, said, you need to examine your reasons. Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. That means that what you say is determined far more not by what's going on outside of you, but rather by what's going on inside of you. Your words are a window into your motives, your passions, your desires, your goals, the things you insist upon, the things you hold dear. Oh, what a helpful, helpful thing. And ultimately, just... <clears throat> sort of speaking, can I get my water, sweetheart? It's on that table right there. Just to put it in an extreme, ultimately you're motivated for your own glory or for other people's glory. Thank you. So we've got to come to grips with how powerful our words are. Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Wow. Did you tell yourself that when you woke up this morning? that your words have immense capacity for destruction. They're like weapons, can be used for good or bad. Uh, Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man digs up evil. His words are a scorching fire. You've been around people who speak like this. In all likelihood, James writing his epistle in the New Testament is echoing that image when he writes in James 3, 6, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. It is said among our members is that which defires the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. It's set on fire by hell. Translated, oh my goodness, we better stand up and think really carefully about why we're saying what we say. And what are our words effect on other people? Are they burning up anything? That, that seems to be the image. So let's tease out some motives. Proverbs identifies bad motives for the way you speak. And after that, we'll look at one good motive. And there's a whole lot more warnings <laughs> than enjoyments, but here we go. Let me show you some bad motives. One, just to be heard. Proverbs 18.2, the fool only delights in revealing his own mind. The fool thinks, I don't need counsel. I don't need wisdom. I don't need correction. I don't need to learn. I got this all figured out. Don't tell me what to think. So this is the person, when you're around them, you feel like, oh, 
he needs to give a running commentary on everything that's going on right now. And this person thinks their opinion is so important, they need to air it all the time. So let's parse this a little bit. I find in my experience that both myself and others, if we err on two extremes, we either err on saying too much or too little. So I can be in a situation where for fear of not being liked, for fear of looking stupid, I'll remain silent, motivated by fear. Or I might find myself in a situation like you where I'm speaking too much because I'm subconsciously my significance hangs on how people will esteem me based on what I'm saying, so I need to say more to get my esteem up. Now think about the condition of the heart in both of those extremes. What's lacking in that heart? An experience of the love of Jesus. When your heart is filled with the affection of Jesus for you, you're not concerned with how little or how much that you speak. You're safe. You're secure. We can say more about that. Second bad motive, to esteem yourself. Proverbs 27.2, Let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. So I think it was two Olympics back in the summer, Usain Bolt, the famous uh, sprinter from Jamaica, had just won another one of his races, and they came up, he was on the track, they came up with the microphone, and they said, uh, how's it feel? I'm the greatest sprinter in the world, I'm the greatest sprinter ever, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. They cut away to Bob Costas at the, you know, the sports deck, you know what I mean? He's sitting there. And Bob Costas says this without a blink. Well, one thing's for sure, we couldn't possibly think more highly of Usain Bolt than he thinks of himself. Wow, Bob nailed it. Even the world acknowledges, let another praise you, not yourself. How about flattering? Lots of verses on flattery. You're spreading a net for your feet. It works ruin. The one who rebukes a man finds more favor afterwards than one who flatters. The fear of man brings a snare. That's, that's why people flatter. Ultimately, they, they fear man. What are you trying to get in flattery that you think you lack? Parse it. Dig down. Think about your words. Fourth motive. We could have a whole sermon on this. We won't. Gossip. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go deep into the innermost parts of his body. Do you get the image? The gossip finds it, what do we call it in our culture? Juicy. It tastes good. It's nourishing. Because when I can say yucky things about other people, I have fed my soul in a sense of superiority because unspoken is... I'm above that. I wouldn't do that. Did you hear about so-and-so? Of course, when you hear that, you should say, don't tell me. If you're concerned with them, you go talk to them about it. That's another sermon for another day. It's identified clearly in Scripture as a bad motive. For, uh, fifth, to criticize. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You are feeling judgmental and critical of someone who genuinely messed up and you didn't. Okay? You generally didn't, and that person is generally in the wrong. 
What does that make you? Only a recipient of more grace than that person. Because what's the truth? If left to yourself, wouldn't you be far worse than the person you're sitting in judgment on? But we don't believe that. <laughs> we just, we really don't believe that. We have far too high opinion of ourselves and far too low an estimation of the grace of God that restrains us in spite of ourselves. It's grace that allows you to say, that person messed up objectively. Boy, I can pray that they get the grace I've received. And you know, given how much I've messed up, God's shown a lot of grace to me. And given, given that person and the grace they lack, I'd probably be worse than them without the grace God has given me. That's what a Christ-filled heart would conclude. This is why Paul says in, in Titus 3.3, 3, he, say, he says, malign no one, be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. We'll, we'll actually look at this tomorrow morning in more detail. But the next thing he writes is, anybody know? Why you should be gentle, considerate, show respect. You know why? He says, for we ourselves also once were. We were idiots. We were deserving scorn. We were foolish. We were hateful. <laughs> to deal graciously and gently with others, you have to know how to classify yourself accurately and what you would be without God's grace. What's the point, beloved? God is so jealous that our words reveal the beauty and the power of the word of God, Jesus Christ himself. So when Proverbs says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, or 2015, there's gold, abundance of jewels, the lips of the righteous are more precious, those are, are depicting the speaking ministry of Jesus. That describes Jesus' words. It describes Jesus. Okay, here's one good motive, and then we'll move on to the next point. One good motive. To encourage, to build up, to feed so Proverbs 12, 18, the tongue of the wise brings healing. The lips of the righteous feed many. Anxiety in the heart weighs it down. A good word makes it glad. So you enter your small group. You go to church Sunday. You go to dinner with some friends from church. You go to work. You're on the sidelines at the soccer game with other parents. You're thinking what you want your words to do is feed. Bring good. I want to leave that conversation with that person and they're like, I want more because I'm hungry. That's what the proverb is saying. Now that requires us to be intentional, prayerful, conscious, deliberate about the way we speak. I don't think I'm overstating it. Okay? What are we doing? We are saying, because a word in the right circumstance is like apples of gold and settings of silver, we're comparing how we think about our speech to the way an artisan goes about his or her art. They have motives. Secondly, there are means. Right? The, the famous painters, they have brush strokes and this, and they have a way of going about their work. There's a method. They craft in, uh, in, intricate. There's a design. There's, there, there's intricacy in what they're doing. So Proverbs 15, 28 says... 
the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So I am consciously engaging this here, my lips, with my heart. I'm instructing my lips. Years ago, I had to pick up our church bulletin in a neighborhood at the lady's house who printed it. And, you know, I had to do it every Saturday. It's just kind of a pain. So what, I'm getting in there and out as fast as I can. So this one time, I pull in the driveway, get it off the front stoop, get back in, and I notice there's a car right at the, where the driveway is on the street, and the guy's got the window down looking at me. And I kind of, he goes, do you live around here? And I'm thinking he needs directions. I go, no, he says, I know. I see you drive in and out of this neighborhood every weekend with disregard for our kids. You roll through the stop signs. You're a danger to our neighborhood. You think I'm getting defensive? <laughs> the Holy Spirit, not me. The Holy Spirit called to mind in an instant. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Just came into my mind. I'm not crediting myself for this. So I better obey that, right? He was ready for a fight. I'm like, I'm not dead, you know. And I said, you're right. I am sorry. I understand why you feel that way. It would be dangerous for your kids. And he immediately backed down. So in that case, the verse proved true. <laughs> you know, God's word is powerful. But I can tell you this, if I didn't constantly read the Proverbs, I read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds with the, with the day of the, so this morning it was Proverbs 1, it's, it's October 1st, same for my wife. If I'm not reading them, I, how does the Holy Spirit pull that out of the scripture bank and apply it when I really need it in, in, that, in that moment? Anyway, thank God, because the Holy Spirit didn't want me to get into a fight with that guy. Abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. This is really good advice for married couples because you know this. You get into a discussion and all of a sudden you realize we're in the downward spiral. We're not making any progress because both of us want to win. And abandon the quarrel look up to heaven, and search in vain for the scoreboard for arguments one. There isn't one. Search for the scoreboard for love shown. That's what God's looking for. Do you see a man hasting his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. There is one who speaks rationally like thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What a contrast. So look, here, here's what that's saying. If you're in a discussion and you feel like, you feel like my words are, I've drawn a sword, what are you supposed to do? Drop it and shut it. It's really good advice. Boys and girls, some of you think you're going to be lawyers. 
and you learning the skill of arguing and defending and presenting cases to mom and dad, and you keep pressing, you keep pressing, you keep pressing. Boys and girls, there's a time, yes, your mom and dad want to understand you, but there's a time, boys and girls, to stop and listen to them because they love you. There's a time to stop. That's what Proverbs is saying. Last point. We are comparing the way an artist goes about producing, in this case, apples of gold and setting of silver, and the way we speak. We have motives, we have methods, finally, we have goals. So when my wife sits down with a blank canvas, she is setting out to produce a painting that is mediocre. Do you believe that? Of course not. She's setting out to produce a wonderful work of art, of which she has many. So proud of her. It's wonderful. She's not a trained artist. It's just all this natural talent that's in her. Let me just focus on one goal for you to think about, maybe this evening, tomorrow morning. One goal for your words. There are many. One goal, and that is words that give life. Again, back to Proverbs 18.21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and a parallel thought, Proverbs 10.11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You're, to spo- you're supposed to think of your mouth as what? A fountain. What's it producing? Life. Where's that coming from? Your heart. You can't give away what you don't have. So this verse asks you to look into your heart. Is my heart filled with life, goodness, well-being, health, grace, blessedness, growth, righteousness, truth, wisdom? Is it filled with Jesus? (laughs) Well, not all the time. (laughs) And that's a problem. Because ultimately, what's the true condition of your fountain? As God sees it. What's the true condition? It's polluted like the Potomac River used to be when I was in high school across the Potomac in Fairfax County. It was filthy. Like my heart. Because I have a track record of criticizing, complaining, moaning, scorning, saying when I sh- what I shouldn't say, speaking when I should, you know, not speaking when I should. I have a polluted track record. And so our words reveal how much we need a new fountain. Where do you get it? From the man whose wellspring was perfect, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived 33 years. He must have spoken, I don't know, millions of words. I, I, I don't Not one of them. Not one of those words ever deviated from the pure pleasure of his father. Every single one of his words was absolutely perfect. Why? His heart was the heart of God. So all of his words were as pure, righteous, and holy as God. So this verse, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, that's Jesus. 
And he has two gifts for you. You don't deserve them. You can't earn them. They are gifts he is all too pleased to give you in a heartbeat. Number one, he wants to give you a track record of speaking perfectly. Does anybody in the room need that? I mean a flawless, his flawless track record. That is yours by grace in the gospel. So the moment Jesus is yours, you are united to Jesus by faith. God the Father knows that the judgment on your words is flawless. You need to live without the guilt, without the condemnation. It's okay when you're guilty of speaking. Without the condemnation of all these terrible ways we've sinned with our tongues, Jesus also has a gift of a new heart for you. So let's think back on how that is yours by grace. Let's look at Proverbs 18, 21, 11. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now that literally describes the words of Jesus. Life and death. Life is in the power of Jesus. Somebody's dead, he speaks, they're alive. People are hungry on a mountainside, he speaks, they're fed, the bread of life. Someone is sick, he speaks, they're healed. Someone is possessed by a demonic spirit, he speaks, life is replaced with it. Life is literally in the power of Jesus' words. Not least, the life of the word of forgiveness. How about the power of death? With one word, one little word will fell him, right? Luther got this. With one word, Jesus will send the devil and his minions into the lake of fire. Go! All evil will be instantly thrown into the lake of fire. One word. And you know if he gave you what you deserved, what would the one word be? Guilty. Guilty, condemned. Instead, Jesus came to earth with the word of life in his mouth. And it's this word, Father, forgive them. Talk about three life-giving words. The power of those words, on the strength of those three words, on the strength of that perfect sacrifice, on the strength of his resurrection, on the strength of his flawless life, on the strength of his shed blood, his father says, I'll forgive them, all who believe. The power of those three words, Father, forgive them. You know you're saved by those words. The gospel is a verbal promise. I will treat you forever as if you've done everything my son has done. The minute, you, the minute you believe in him. We believe a promise. We believe words. Stunning. Amazing. Oh my goodness, what did it take for Jesus to do that? That pure fountain became polluted with our sin on the cross. He drowned himself in the sewer of our sin, not least our wretched words. And think about the fast-forwarding of Judgment Day. See, we use our words to kill others. Jesus used his word to kill himself. Right? On the cross, wasn't it? Death to me, Father. Life to them. Stunning. So, 
I trust you've asked Jesus to speak over you the word of his forgiveness. Yes, if you haven't, this is the night to do it. And I believe, without a doubt, almost all of you have. What does that mouth look like in action? Just look at the rest of the verses on the handout in your spare time. I have a lot more I could say about it, but it's late. You've had a long day. This is a good time to end tonight. Just take a look at some of the verses on your handout that show the evidence of a new heart, of purified lips, of a life smitten by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He'd do that for me. It's my pleasure to think carefully about how I speak. Let me pray for you all. Good shepherd, these are your precious sheep. You love them. You tend them. They are so dear to you. Thank you for their attentiveness to the word of God. Thank you for the, their interest in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for their grasp of the gospel. Thank you for their desire to worship you and to hear from you. Would you now?